Talking Heads is brought to you by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 off your first purchase. We're also sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football. With more winners and more payouts than any other site, enter promo code TALKING at FanDuel.com to play a risk-free tournament for up to 10 bucks. What do you want to do when you grow up? It's the single most important question in the world, because if you can't answer that, you will never be fulfilled And you'll never actually get anything. At age 42, I found myself in a position that I've never been before, wondering why being at the top of my profession wasn't enough. And it's made 2015 the most confusing year of my life. And welcome into the latest and final edition of Talking Heads for the year 2015. I'm Brad Weinstein in my basement. In Connecticut, Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. Hello, Mark. Hey, Bram. You scared me when you said this is the final sh- version. of. I was like, oh, no, wait a minute. Is that, is that it for us? But no, you're right. It's the final show for 2015, not forever. Well, I don't know. Ask Panoply. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they'll let us know in 20, after the New Year. Happy New Year. You're fired. So we'll see what happens. Um, you know, we actually said this before. You know, the, the podcasting world is still nascent. Most people still don't listen to it. And there's 8 million podcasts out there. So we're in a forest. So we're asking your your help here. If you like what we've been doing, we actually need you to spread the word and tell people to subscribe and listen. We're asking for like a half an hour, 45 minutes a week. We have a lot of fun together. For those of you who are in Washington and remember our show back in D.C., Mark and I show, we had a great time, and it's only going to get better. And there are other versions of this that we're going to ultimately be doing next year, and hopefully for Panoply, but we need your help to get our numbers up. That's the honest truth of it. Um, we are really proud of the audience that we've built to this point, but we need more people. Um, the only way that this thing works for the company and works for us um, ultimately is we have to have a certain number of listeners so in 2016 do us a favor here guys make it a resolution send it along to your friends just tell people we exist have them listen to us taste test us a little bit and you'll see 2016 is going to get better right mark absolutely and and bram you and i haven't discussed this but i'd like to throw a further incentive out there for anybody in our audience and we do love you and thank you so much for finding us and listening to us and supporting us but if you bring for every new person that you bring on board i'll not only make out with you but also that person that you bring on board with us so, yeah, yeah and their and their parents and all their know, parents you make know what out with all of them absolutely absolutely if there's some friends of the family you want me to make out with i'm happy to do that too we just want to grow our listenership. Yes. All right. So um, a lot of things are going to change for for me in 2016 because they have to. Um, do you believe, Mark, in all the universe talk stuff that like the universe is plentiful and it, and if you you know really believe and put your heart set to something that it will come to you? Do you believe in all that kind of mystical stuff like the secret and all of those things? Do you believe that stuff? I like to, but having worked in broadcasting for so long and having so many dreams shattered before my very eyes, it's hard. I've seen people work hard and be talented and make all the right decisions and do all the right things and still not have things work out for them. Uh, So it definitely challenges your belief in, in that kind of thing. I firmly believe in it, and I also think it's partially because... Um, I was very lucky as a, as a child and I say this lucky now because I realize it now because my mindset on, on what I want out of my life has changed dramatically over the last couple of years. And, but when I was a kid, I knew at a very young age, exactly what I wanted to do. When someone would ask me what I wanted to do at nine, 10, 11 years old, I would tell them exactly what I'm doing right now. 
I want to talk about sports. I want to cover sports. I want to be around sports. I want to write about it. I want to talk about it. And I want to perform in it. Because I knew at a young age I was never was too lazy to actually play most of them. But I enjoyed them. It was my favorite thing in the world. And I had tickets as a kid to go see the Redskins. And my parents bought me tickets to go see the Capitals. And I took part in all sorts of anything that was related to the broadcasting or journalism industry in high school, into college. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And I followed those things. And because I believe I knew exactly what I wanted to do, I got to do a lot of those things. I got to cover my favorite team as a kid, the Washington Redskins, for eight years for the predominant outlet of electronic media in Washington, D.C. For eight years, I got to do that. I got to have my own radio show, fortunately with you, for a couple of years. And then when you and I ended up splitting up because you ended up going different places, I had an opportunity to do a radio show with other people as well. And then my dreams turned into something that I wasn't even vying for, and that was to go to the biggest and best outlet of sports broadcasting in the world, bar none, there's no argument about it, ESPN. I never envisioned that. When I was a child, I wanted to be one of the great local DC sportscasters. I really looked up to George Michael and Glenn Brenner and Steve Buckhantz and Bernie Smilovitz and Frank Herzog and any number of others and whoever I'm forgetting, I, I forgive me for forgetting, Gus Johnson, James Brown, all these people that came through Washington, DC. I wanted to be exactly like them. And somehow... I don't know if surpassed it would be the right way to put it because I never vied to go to a place like ESPN, but I got to go work there for a number of years. So you would think that because I had my heart set on doing this and because it came to me that the fulfillment would have occurred that I just got there and that's it. And for some reason over the last couple of years at ESPN, despite the fact that my career was growing there, there was a growing dissatisfaction inside of me about what was happening with me there? Had I lost some level of fulfillment? And I can't really explain why getting what I wanted ultimately changed my outlook on what I want to do. Have you ever had that feeling in your life? Well, you, you, it's like the dog chasing the car. You know, you're so intent on catching it that sometimes when you catch it, you're like, well, wait a minute, what do I do now? I, I, I've had that that feeling at various points in my career, whether it's something personally I've chased or something professionally. And, and, you know, I look in the mirror and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I have what I've been looking for. I'm doing well, you know, but, you know, I, I, I place, I'm going to use the word dissatisfaction, but that might be too strong a word for it. But that's sort of like itch that continues to bug me that being like, hey, there's, there's different fields and, and different things that I can do. And I feel like I'm being limited sometimes by this one thing that I've, I've dove, dove into. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, I've, I've really, I've avoided talking publicly at length about ESPN and why I left. Um, and I left. It was my choice to do so um, because I just didn't want to ever really close the door on going back. And I felt like that if I just stayed quiet and said all the positive things about my experiences there, and largely they were. That's not, I'm not trying to suggest that they weren't. They were largely a positive experience. The end was not. But the, the beginning and the middle, which was a little rocky, and the, you know, the last couple of years where things started to kind of move in the right trajectory for me there, uh, were not. They were very positive experiences for me. And so I tried to shy away from 
getting over the anger of how things ended there to not allow that to cloud my judgment that, you know what, down the road, maybe I'll want to go back and work for them. And maybe they'll want to let me back in the building to work for them again, but in a different capacity. I feel like I just need to, for cathartic reasons, for however many people are going to actually end up listening to this, because I've had a lot of people ask me why I did what I did. And I feel like I just have to say it and I just have to try to explain it. And I think I just, I just need to say it out loud so that I can unburden myself because I firmly believe that the reason why I have not ultimately gotten another full-time particular position that I've wanted is because of this universe idea. I don't know exactly what I want. And that is my biggest limitation right now by walking away from the job that I had it would seem that I had a clear idea of what I wanted to do next. But the truth is, I didn't. And that was the biggest holdup for me. Because as I've gone through this process of talking to every major outlet in local markets and national markets and digital markets and audio markets and all of the, I don't want to, I do know this, I don't want to leave broadcasting. I love it. But I don't know exactly what I want to do in it if doing SportsCenter wasn't enough which is what ESPN wanted me to commit to, just doing SportsCenter. When my contract was coming up, and this happened in the spring, the previous fall, so a little over a year ago, they came to me and they asked me in, in getting set to discuss my contract extension, which I appreciated because you, know, you just don't know in this business. It's so subjective. You never know when people are just going to say, we don't want him around anymore. And they came to me and they said, Brad, what do you want to do here? And as far as being at ESPN, I knew what I wanted to do there. I wanted the outlet to call some games. I wanted the outlet to be on a vehicle like the one that Olbermann had, which is kind of like ESPN's version of John Oliver's show or The Daily Show, where you're allowed to write, create, show more of, a, of an opinion. I wanted to be in that kind of outlet. Being on SportsCenter was a privilege. It was an honor. It is an iconic television program. And I look at pictures and tapes of myself on there, and it feels almost like a dream that it occurred, that it almost wasn't real. But I have felt this way about SportsCenter for a long time, that after you do it for a period of time, I felt like a member of Saturday Night Live. Like, at some point, I just have to get off of it and do something else. Because as great as it is, it's a template. And I have a hard time controlling creative juices. If I am in a position where I'm not really allowed to color outside the lines very much, which is kind of what SportsCenter's product is, and for good reason. You know, you, you can make your own personality on that show, but you can't really break out of that show. You're never going to be bigger than that show, and you're never really going to be able to show your true self there because there's not enough time or exposure to actually utilize it as your platform. And for some reason, I knew when they told me when I said what I want to do, and they said, no, we want you to commit directly to SportsCenter, I knew at that moment that I was going to have a hard time stopping feeling as if that there's something wrong with that, that I'm going to need to have some kind of creative outlet. And if they were not inclined to give me some of that alongside with doing SportsCenter, there was going to be a problem. So ultimately, what they ended up offering me was a multi-year deal for in the real world would be a really nice salary. But in our world, was not. And I knew that. So I had to make a very difficult choice here. And that was, am I okay with taking a contract 
that is in, and I know this, that is not of commensurate pay to the people who are in an exact similar position to me to stay with in a good job at an incredible company. Yes, but only if they were willing to then give me some side projects that allowed me to express my creativity and attempt to grow. They refused to negotiate either one of those things. So they didn't want to pay me like some of my colleagues, and they didn't want to just, uh, it wasn't going to be about money. All they had to do was give me some creative freedom to do some other projects, and I would have happily stayed as long as they committed to that. But they wouldn't do either, and they wouldn't actually even negotiate with me about it. So I got stuck in what I believe is the worst possible conundrum you can be in, and that is, do you settle at the best place in the world? Or do you move on and hope you can pick up the pieces? And for about eight months now, I have been stuck wondering, did I make the right decision? Because I chose to go a very unusual path. I gambled with my career. I gambled with my life. I gambled with my children's lives and their livelihood because there's no certainty that I was going to get back into as high profile a position like that again. I did it on pure belief and trying to keep my dignity and trying to keep my core values together, that this just isn't right. And unfortunately, because it's not right, I have to walk away from something that anyone from the outside looking in is going to look at me and say, you are nuts for doing that. And I've had to live with a burden of going, am I nuts? Am I really crazy for doing what I did based on a belief system that has little to do with economic realities in our business. It's a tough road that you walked. And, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, I, we, we haven't talked about it in its entirety, as you, as you just laid it out right there. And that's a, tough, that's a tough spot to be put in because there's a lot of different things that you have to weigh there. I mean, as you said, there's a financial responsibility. You have your family and yourself and, you know, and your career. Uh, but if in your heart and your core you're like, this isn't the right this isn't the right situation for me, and I'm not going to be happy. You know, I mean, it's easy for me to say it's you got to do the right thing. You got to do the right thing for you because life is too short. I and agree. if you And if you accept something in the back of your mind, you're getting into this thing at the very start of it. In the back of your mind, you're like, ah. I don't really know if I want to do this, then before too long, you're going to be involved in that. You're not going to be able to give 100%, and your work is going to suffer, and you're not going to be happy in your life. You know, and, and the money and, and the comfort and all that kind of stuff, that won't help you, in my opinion. I've been, and I've done this sort of stuff, I mean, with not really with the same stakes that you were playing with this past year, but I remember when I got into broadcasting, I had no experience whatsoever. I, I had a job I didn't like, it was in sales, and I just quit it. I said, I'm going to quit this and I'm going to get into broadcasting because that, after, you know, 10 years of soul searching, I said, this is what I want to do with my life and I want to see if I can do it. And I had a lot of people, and I was like 26 at the time, they're like, you're crazy, man. You can't do that. You got to you gotta keep a safe job and save some money and buy a house and build a life. And I was like, I can't do that, man. I got to chase down what I feel like is my best destiny. Yeah. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down swinging on that. And, and listen, for those out there that, you know, that think that the world of broadcasting is, is the be-all, end-all of everything, it's fantastic. I have loved so much of my career with this. And I think, Bram, you would say the same thing. And, you know, and just by the way, as a side note, there are very few cooler things in my life than have been sitting in my house on my couch and either A, seeing you on SportsCenter. And I was like, 
Oh, my God, that's Bram. And not only is it my buddy up there doing it, but you were kicking ass. You were great at it. And then also when an ad would come up and I was like, oh, my God, Bram's in one of the ESPN ads, which yeah. to me was one of the coolest things. That's As you said, that's like a Saturday Night Live moment. You're like, I am officially part of this cast. So yeah. I, I, I can only imagine how difficult it would be for you to – to to get to that crossroads and 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 make the decision that you did you know but listen the the harder route the route that you have to stay true to that that's always the road i feel like you got to take you know and and you could have said well i'm just going to do the easy thing and stay here but ultimately would that have been enough for you and if it's not then you're you're going to be miserable in every aspect of your life i'm not going to go into great detail about what i'm about to say but um i i i you know, I've actually grown to like living here more than I'm not there anymore, which I think says a lot about how I felt about the region. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of joked about, you know, that it's a little boring in Connecticut, but it's a wonderful community for our kids. And I'm starting to understand that and see that now, which I think has started to make me have this belief system that maybe I did make a big mistake. I should have just taken what they were going to give me and I should have been happy to take it from them. But what was happening over the last couple of years with me was I believe I was acting out in a way. Um, I was exhibiting some poor behavior, just behavioral choices that I regret. And I'm not going to go into detail about what those things actually were, but I was not proud of my actions in general. And I believe that some of it was I was so feeling not heard, not listened to. Maybe my ego wasn't being stroked enough at ESPN. I wasn't getting the types of assignments that I knew I could do extremely well. I was getting pushed to the side. I was being told exactly what to do. I was part of the woodwork of SportsCenter, you know, which is not bad woodwork to be in, but you are. You're just kind of one. When you're a white guy like me, you're kind of one of the nameless, faceless, you know, that, that it interchangeable. And I believe that part of the reason why things didn't work out for ESPN was I think they look at people like me and they go, we can replace him in a second. And I don't want to believe that that's true. But I know that that's true, that they can put somebody on that kind of looks like me, kind of sounds like me. I'm going to sit there with a bias and say he won't be as funny as me. He won't be as good as me. He won't be as witty or quick or as interesting as me. But they don't see it as a game changer because I'm not Bob Costas and I've never pretended to be or Scott Van Pelt or Dan Patrick or Chris Berman. But the hard part about being at ESPN is when you are there and you feel like you can do those things and you feel like you're being limited in a way that you'll never try to, that they'll never even let you try to ascend to be one of those people. It becomes so depressing and so difficult to be around. I'm too competitive and I am too passionate about what I do to have sat there and said, you know what, this is good for my kids. But then I go months later, why did I do that to my kids? Why? You know, I'm here. Why did I do that? And, you know, the, the really the hardest part of it was just about a week ago, um, ESPN, you know, had a lot of layoffs in the fall um, based on their business model. We've talked about that in the past. And so because of that, a couple of people put together what was a reunion for um, ESPN employees. And it was, you know, I, I never actually said goodbye to anybody. And I think part of that was I was in some kind of anger disbelief that things didn't work out in a way that would have made me just appeased to stay because, and I use the word appeased because it really wouldn't have taken much. They just didn't even want to give me the time of day to hear out exactly what would make me happy. And that's why I got so angry about it when it ended. 
And so I went to this thing. I didn't want to go because I still have feelings about it. Clearly, I haven't been able to talk about it publicly for a very long time. I still have feelings about it. I wanted it to work out there. Why wouldn't you want it to work out there? And I went to this thing and I had extreme mixed emotions. It was kind of a strange, there was 350 people and most of them I knew and it's people I worked with. And I, I, I looked around and I'm looking at these pictures of SportsCenter and I'm going, how did I walk away from that? It was the first time that I ever felt any level of regret for what I did. And then I'd look around the room and I'd see all these people who'd been laid off, who did all these great jobs. And I go, how can I go work for these people again? You know, they, the way that I was treated going out the door was not the best. I'm not going to, you know, listen, they have business decisions to make and and I'm not going to kill them over it, but the way it ended was not pleasant. And I wasn't happy with that, but largely my experience was good. But I look at a lot of these other people and I go, they didn't deserve what they got. So when's my time going to come where they just decide I make too much money or I'm just too old and I'm just out of here. And then all of a sudden I'm worthless to them. So I've had this very odd end of year experience with this where I feel like I just, I need to really truly turn the page and I really need to truly start thinking about what is it exactly I want to do instead of going over in my mind everything that potentially I did wrong and live with regret over what I did in 2015. Well, you can't, you can't live with regret. You you know, you, you've, and listen, I, I say that as a guy who sits in a dark room every night and goes over all the bad choices I've made personally and professionally. I'm like, well, I shouldn't have done that. Definitely shouldn't have done that. Nah, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. But, you know, listen, you made your call, and it was the right call for you. And was it an easy road that you've had to go down these last eight months? No, uh, clearly not. And is it going to be a particularly easy road for the next few as, as you sort out what your options are going to be for the next year? No, you know, but that's that's part of the process. And in the end, you're going to be better off for all of this when you're on the other side of it. It's just, I don't know, it's, uh, it, it's sort of like when you break up with a girl or a you know, relationship ends with a girl that you were really in love with and it didn't end the way you wanted it to. And the only way you're really going to get over that relationship is to have the next relationship. So... You know, my dime store psychology would be, yeah, you're going to there's it's inevitable that you're going to look at at all this stuff with some amount of regret. But then once you get into that next thing, you're going to feel so great about it because that you're going to be like, this is the thing that I was meant to do. And this is why I made those tough decisions a year ago. Yeah, it's just been, you know, I, I don't know. I just I fooled myself into believing when I left that it would be settled very quickly. And the. And the experience of the first couple of months of being out was I had so much interest in so many interviews that I was sitting there going, see, this is going to work out really just great. And then I was offered one thing that 10 years ago would have been a dream position for me, but I don't feel that way about it anymore. And I didn't take it. And then I was offered another position that was attractive, but the prerequisite was a move and I didn't want to limit my options. So I didn't say no, but I didn't say yes. So I kept waiting for something to happen, and nothing has felt right since. And I believe that my biggest enemy throughout these last eight months has been me because I have always known exactly what I wanted to do. And here I am at 42, and I actually don't know the answer to that anymore. I don't think it's because of my experiences. It's as simple to say, as some people would say in this business, I just want to work for ESPN. That's an actual easy thing to say. But what do you want to do when you get there? What is it exactly you want to do? And what happens if you don't get those things there? Then what? And then what if you leave like I did? 
Well, now someone has to ask you, and reasonably so, one, why did you do that? And two, well, what are you going to do now? And if you don't have in your heart the answer to that question, that passion and that energy will reflect you. And unfortunately, I believe I've been my own worst enemy. I've been explaining myself instead of looking forward and saying, you know what, through all of these experiences, these are the things that would make me happy now, and I'm going to go after them directly. But when I meet with people, I tell them how passionate I am about what I do and the craft and how much I love broadcasting. But then they say, what do you want to do? And I don't have a clear answer for it. And that is the most disturbing thing. I feel like my life has been backwards, that I knew what I wanted to do as a career when I was six. But I don't know what I want to do exactly now that I'm 42. And it's depressing, to be honest with you. Well, without sitting here and and rubber stamping everything you're saying, the world has changed a lot in the last 10 years, even. Last five years. I mean, particularly for what we do. Listen, newspapers are going away. The broadcast world is still evolving and changing. The very fact that you and I are doing a podcast right now, these opportunities weren't available to us, you know, five, six, seven years ago. And now this is, you know, is this the way of the future in, in, in the world of terrestrial radio? Is that going to go away? You know, what's going to happen? With, we've talked about this with the networks and how they get their product to people. Everything about what we do is still evolving. So... Without saying, hey, you know, patting you on the back and be like, don't worry, man, it's a tough time. I, it is. This is a confusing time. If I didn't have, if somebody said to me, what exactly is it that you want to do? I mean, I'd be within this industry. I'd be hard pressed to say because I don't know that necessarily whatever I'd want to do isn't going to be obsolete in a year or two. That's right. So this is this is really odd. I've never felt this way before heading into a new year. I actually really need to make resolutions. Yeah, like, I you really do. need to do it. Like for the first time in my life, I understand that, that as I turn the page and I'm hell bent on making 2016 a better experience than what 2015 was because of what I did to my family and extended family who have looked at me cross-eyed for eight months now going, what did you do? You know, why would you do that? Why would you turn down a salary like that? Why would you turn down a job like that? If you're a sports broadcaster, why wouldn't you want to be there? What's wrong with you? And every time I explain it to them, I feel like they're just not hearing me or they're just thinking it couldn't have been what you're talking about. You've made it out to be worse than it is, but I never made it out to be bad. I just made it out to be at this point in time in my life, I was just not ready to settle, even if it meant settling for something as great as that. And it's just, this is the time now where for the first time I'm sitting back going, When I make these resolutions, it isn't going to be about eating less sugar (laughs) or, like, actually going to the gym more often. It's real life decisions. Like, what are you going to do with your life? Because if you make the wrong choices now, it will affect you for the rest of your life. And I need to make those resolutions now. I cannot believe this. It is the last week of the NFL regular season. Where did the time go? Don't miss your chance to witness pro football in the stadium atmosphere. There's nothing else like it. And now when you use SeatGeek, it's easy to find the best deal in the building. And with our code TALKING, you get 20 bucks back. Here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. Then you enter our code TALKING. And when you make your first purchase, SeatGeek sends you a $20 check via 
PayPal or by check. SeatGeek pulls all the ticket buying and selling options from other ticket sites into one place to save you time. They know the fair market value of every ticket. They use that information to show you the best deals and help you find underpriced seats. Also, if you have tickets you can't use, SeatGeek will help you quickly sell them to another fan. Hate those sneaky fees at the end? SeatGeek has the lowest fees of any ticket site out there and always shows you the full price up front. So to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today. Enter promo code TALKING in the app. SeatGeek will then send you 20 bucks once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. For the NFL, the NBA, the best concerts, how about Springsteen? Use the SeatGeek app and enter our code TALKING for $20 back. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, uh, D.C. So I spilled my guts. Uh, I did not go into extreme detail about how things ended, and there was a reason for that. I kind of can't. Right. No, of course. And uh, you can understand yeah, why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and again, I want to repeat this. Um, I don't leave with bad memories or hurt feelings by ESPN. Largely, I feel so fortunate to have had that opportunity to be put on their stage that they gave that's a privilege it is it's an entirely it's a privilege for them to ask me to be in their commercials for them to ask me to be on their iconic show the most famous iconic sports show of all time you know it is an honor and I wear that as a badge and I think it was a wonderful experience it just unfortunately I felt like I needed to go in a different direction and I just didn't know what that direction was. So I have to make resolutions. I had, to, I had a premonition about this, Mark, earlier this year. I turned 42, as I said. I'm a January birthday. And I had this weird premonition because 42 is the sacred number in sports. It's Jackie Robinson's number. Nobody in baseball wears it any longer. I think now that Mo Rivera is retired, I think he was the last active player that actually was, was. allowed to wear he it. He was, you're right. So, you know, it's been retired, and every year during the baseball season, um, every team wears it for one day. They have Jackie Robinson Day. And for those, if, for, if there's anyone here who doesn't know who that is, he broke the color barrier. So, okay. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, he was kind anyway, of important. <laughs> he's, but, you know, for sports, he's like a civil rights leader, really. Yes, he's so, huge. Anyway, so I had this weird premonition that 42 was going to be the year that I did in my own life groundbreaking things. The question is, did I do the right groundbreaking things? <laughs> you know, isn't that strange? I just had, I thought about this when my birthday was coming. I was, I kept telling myself, 42 is my Jackie Robinson birthday. I'm going to do something crazy this year. It was like I knew I was going to do something crazy this year. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I'm trying to think, but because I'm old, I'm a couple years older than you. I'm, I'll be 47 this April. When I was 42, I think I just looked at mirror and be like. I can't believe 40's gone. <laughs> I can't believe I'm I'm two years past 40, and my chances of making sex with somebody in their 20s is now just never going to happen again. <laughs> actually, it goes up. It actually goes up. But you know, here's the I have found this out. You know, you, like it does actually go up. Um, not that I would really have any experience with that, but I but I have a feeling. I just I think through through viewing the world now at this age, it seems like it gets easier, and I don't know particularly why that is the I'll case. Take- um, resolution number one for me is an easy one. It's time for me to get out of my basement. Okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> just an easy like one. after you've heard all of this, I'm so bored and I'm so ready to go back to work on a full time basis. So, anyone who is going to hear this that is wondering, is my passion still in this? I'm dying to get back to work. I'm just hoping to find the right thing to do. So, getting out of my basement is resolution number one. I like that. And so, the other resolution is this I need to find out what I want. 
Um, I did do this once before in my life, not with the stakes this high, clearly. My first on-air job was in Nebraska um, at a small station in uh, Hastings, Nebraska, KHAS TV. I was, what, 23 years old when I went out there. Was after you college. were an exotic fish to those people. Yeah, I was an exotic spice. They, most of them had never met a Jew. It was really it was a great, great experience. And uh, it, I, I fondly look upon that. But it was my first job, and I, I did everything. I was there for a month, my first job, and I was doing um, the weekend news, the anchor, the weather, and the sports. I knew nothing about weather. There's serious weather in Nebraska. Like, there's tornadoes Sure. There. So fortunately, like, the weather service was actually next door to our station, so I could ask them when something real was going on. I could ask them. Just, I would tell them, tell me exactly what to say, because you know, I knew nothing right. about the weather. I remember the weather forecast would be like, I don't know what this big green blob is on your screen, but it doesn't look good to me. Like, that was like my <laughs> weather forecast for them. <laughs> no idea. So that was my first couple of years, but the same thing happened, like... I knew I was going to stay out there for a couple of years. It was just time to move on. And um, I couldn't find another job in another market. So I just left and came home and picked up the pieces. So I know these emotions. You know, the hardest part about what I've done this time is there's other people at stake here. My kids, my wife, my family, they're worried sick. Where are we going to live? You know, because it's probably not going to be in Connecticut because the networks aren't here. You know, there's no other really broadcast outlets here. If I could find something I could do where I'm going back and forth from the city that I'd be happy doing, maybe we would consider staying here. But the likelihood is we're going to move. We've made that hard on them because I've been out of work for as long as I have and only done some freelance stuff in between. You know, we're burning through money. So I have put an undue, unnecessary stress on them. And I'm asking them to blindly believe that I'm going to figure this thing out. And so I resolve to them that I will. You know, I have had way too much time to think about this and way too much time to put introspection into it and way too much time to finally just turn the page and say, you did what you did for the reasons that you did it. You know why you did it. It was right for you. People don't have to agree with what you did and they can think you're nuts for what you did, but you're going to be better off on the other side and you have to believe that and you have to resolve to actually make that happen. Yeah, I, I, I would almost say the, the, the second resolution comes before the first one where, you know, really figure out what that what that thing is you want to do and then just chase it with you know the the force of a thousand suns kind of deal let me ask you a question because i know when we when we worked together in dc we started we did a show for a period of time it was great it was really fun to do and they also they gave us autonomy which is you know another it's a it's it's an aspect of broadcasting that is underrated for those people who want to get into this i cannot stress to you enough what autonomy means that for you to ultimately feel fulfilled you have to be allowed to be yourself and be trusted in decisions and that's a hard place to get to because people who are in charge are wary of the brand and they should be and therefore some people put tighter controls over how you're going to be, when you're going to be, how much time you're going to get, and what your content will be. But ultimately, even if you're on for a short period of time, but you have autonomy and are trusted to do your job, you will be so much more fulfilled in what you do because you will take time to craft it in your own way. It's when you end up in positions where you're basically filling in a blank for somebody, where things get hard. And as much as I loved SportsCenter, and as much as I loved being on it, there is a robotic function of it that I think anyone can tell based on, you know, how many episodes there are of it a day that sometimes it's hard to tell between one show and the other, mainly because it's a template 
and you are filling in a hole. It's an important hole. It's a prestigious hole, but you're filling in a hole. And autonomy is huge. So one of the things I resolve is I'm going to get my autonomy back. That whatever thing I choose next, it's going to be I want leeway to create in my own way to trust me that at this stage of my career, I know what I'm doing that will not get your brand in trouble. And I will ultimately be you and I will both be better off. I'll be a happy worker for you. And you'll be happy that you have someone who has the autonomy and you don't have to micro micromanage. I, I'm going to make an unfair comparison for the show that we did together, which was so much fun, to uh, one of the greatest creative projects in the history of the world. And that is Monty Python. Now, we were not Monty Python. But the stuff that we did, the sort of the sketches, the comedy sketches that we did and the different, you know, benchmarks that we added to the show and just the way that we approached that show. And it was 99 percent of it was through your creative eyes. And I just was like, hey, I can add this. And when we did that, we had station management. God bless them was like, you guys do whatever you want to do. Very rarely. I don't I'd be hard pressed to remember any instance where they came back to us and said, you can't do that. And we did it, and it was great fun, and it was as exciting a project as you'll ever work on because you're testing all your creative abilities, and you're essentially working without a net because it is. It's just the two of us, and we're like, well, this seems funny to me. Yeah, let's do this. Hey, try that. And there wasn't somebody saying, no, all your bits have to be three minutes, and they have to include this, this, and this. It was just us sort of just free-forming it, and it sort of reminded me of when you hear the stories of Python. When they got started, they were like, yeah, we're just, you know, we were just doing stuff and throwing it against the wall and seeing what stuck. And to have that sort of creative freedom, as you said, is absolutely essential. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I believe I, in my heart of hearts that that is actually where things fell short for me at ESPN, that I just didn't feel like I had enough autonomy and I didn't feel like I had enough trust, that I wanted them to trust me that what I'm going to create for you will work. Not everything, but will work and it'll be in my own voice. And trust me, I will be so much more passionate about everything I do if you just trust me that way. But I understand, you know, they have a massive brand. And they can't let everybody do that. They can't let everybody just be themselves. Right. They do need people to come in and fill holes, even if they are prestigious holes. I'm just not the type of person that can do it. And I am more than willing to work on a lower scale um, in terms of exposure if I get the room to create. And that is the message I've been trying to get across. But the problem is they say, well, what do you exactly do you want to do? And as you pointed out in the last segment when we were talking about this, this media world has changed so dramatically. Yeah. This is very hard to pinpoint that. It used to be actually be easy. You know, limited choices makes life easier. Like when, when you look up at the TV, there's three local networks and those are the only jobs. It's easy to go, I want to be one of those guys. When there's 8,000 outlets and the digital world has exploded the way it has and the podcast world has exploded the way it has and the networks are now trying different things to try to maintain ratings, it's actually hard now to sit there and go, you know what? I want to be that standard sit behind the anchor desk guy. Actually, I don't anymore. I want to find new ways to do this and grow creatively within the context of this business. The question is, I need to figure out exactly what that is. So when I walk into the room, I could say, this is exactly what I want to do if I were to work with you. And I think that's why I've had the hardest time getting exactly what I want because I don't know exactly what that is. So I need to resolve to figure out what in these worlds would seem to me to feel like a creative outlet that would feel fulfilling 
and would be beneficial clearly to whatever their brand is. I think it's great. You know, I, again, I mean, it's identifying the hardest thing in the world is identifying what it is that you really want to chase. And it makes it harder now, as we talked about, that, you know, that that goal line keeps moving because the, the industry changes almost seemingly month to month with different developments and things that we thought were going to be here forever are now obsolete. And um, like you said, that anchor job, you know, 10 years ago, that was the be all end all. And now it's like, ah, that's probably going to go away in the next couple of years when local networks phase out sports because there's no point to having lo- a local sports anchor. There really isn't at this point. You know, they, they, I was asked, basically I alluded to this, but I'm not going to say what it was. I don't think it's fair when you say like exactly who offered you a job and you turned them down, but a, a local affiliate in a city offered me a job to be their sports director, which in general means being on the 6 and 11 p.m. news. And I looked at it and I go, who's watching that now? Like, it's an obsolete thing. And then I'm like, you know, what happens on the 11 o'clock news now is you wait around all day to do a one-minute highlight of a, of a basketball game that everyone has seen on their phone 800 times. It's obsolete. And I just didn't feel like, do I want to not spend my nights with my kids for that? No. The answer is no. Even though I was, you know, flattered that I was offered a position that as a kid I would have dreamed to have had. Yeah. No, it's, again, you and I grew up in this town. Glenn Brenner, uh, you know, George Michael. These were the guys you're like, oh, my God. And when I get to meet George, I was like, I can't believe this is one of my heroes. And and now that position, it's it's. It doesn't really exist anymore, and nor is it going to come back. It's not going to circle back, and there's going to be a golden age of local sports broadcasters anymore. You know, and and if there are, no. they're not going to be. And for yeah. those that don't know who Glenn Brenner was, Glenn Brenner was a genius. He was a comedic genius, and what he did in that position is, I mean, that that really, Brand, that's what you needed. You need you need to be back in like the '80s to get that job and make your mark. Because that was the thing that yes. you were destined. Yeah. You were like you are like another Glenn Brenner in the way that you would color outside the lines. Yeah, I well, wanted he, to be him so badly. I wanted to be because he he was basically doing shtick yeah. on the air that worked long before yeah. Sports Center was popular. And as a kid, I looked at this guy and I said, "Yeah, that's it. He's everything I want to be. He gets to talk about sports all day, and he gets to do it in a really great, fun, whole, like folksy fashion. He became part of the fabric of my community, and he was yeah. the guy I wanted to be." And as I grew older, you know, unfortunately, that position is obsolete. But the way he did it is not. Character and and humor and all of that stuff works in this genre. You just have to find the spaces for it now. And that's that's really the, the test for you in the months to come is finding out that avenue where you can fully be that person. You know what I mean? Because that's that's really where you will, I think, where you will flourish the most. But again, that's just my two cents. Let me ask you this one, because we talked about this off the air at one point, and I want to hear it from you because you've heard me basically you know, go through my whole thing. You left our station when we were together, and you went over to a different station, Washington Post, right? Yes. And then they flipped formats on you, and so you got, you, know, you got rolled out because when that happens, everyone gets canned when that thing happens to people. Yes. How did you handle being out and trying to figure out what you wanted to do after that? <laughs> uh, well, it was. I remember when it first happened, I was like, well, you're not going to get rid of me, right? Because, you know, I'm pretty good. You know, you guys want me around. And they're like, no, we're changing the whole format from the station. And I was like, all right. And initially, I was sort of fried. So, like, for the first, like, few weeks, I was like, this is great. Uh, you know, I'm going to go out and have some drinks. I'm going to sleep in. Uh, you know, whatever. I, I'm just not going to worry about it. And then I had, a, like you, my phone was ringing a little bit. So I was like, I'm going to be fine. And I interviewed for stuff. And I probably didn't interview all that well. Um... And 
I looked up and it was about five months in and I was like, well, I don't have a job and I'm starting to run out of money and uh, what am I going to do? And um, I, at that point, it was really depressing. I couldn't I couldn't even get a call back from a restaurant to wait tables or at a Barnes and Noble where I was trying to get holiday work because <laughs> I got I got let off in like August. And so by like December, I was like, hey, man, I just, you know, I read a lot of books. I'm, I think it'd be pretty good for you guys. And I couldn't even get a call. They're like, all right, thanks. We'll call you. Um, and finally, I ended up being so desperate. I, uh, I, I did get a, a broadcasting job. I was doing overnight um, uh, sportscasts. Uh, so I'd get there at like 6 p.m. and I would get home at like 5 a.m. and you'd make like 100 bucks. And it was great. It gave me some experience doing some different things and it got me back out there. Um, and it wasn't too long after that that it started to pick up and I got started talking to people about another job and then things really picked up. And But even, even after it was all said and done, though, the job I accepted was not really the thing I was looking for. But at that point, I was like, I just got to take whatever I can get. So it was... Yeah. It was a miserable process for me. Um, I went into it differently than you did, but I hated just about just about everything except for the first two weeks. First yeah. two weeks, I was like, this is like vacation. I needed it. I love it. And then after that, reality set in, and I was like, this sucks, and I need, yeah. to, I need to do you something. Know, it's, it's, um, it's a, I, 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 listen, for anyone who's, who's considering this, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping I have a you know, happy ending to, to tell you know, in 2016. You will. You but, will. And, and I think I will, but you know, I, I will say this. Um, this is not something that I would advise anyone doing. Like, I, I don't necessarily regret it, but, you know, when it affects other people, you start to have reservations about why you did what you did, and was it selfish, and was it ego-driven, and some of it was. And, you know, it's one thing when you're single, you know, and you're young, and you can just do it and say, you know what, I'll be fine, you know, I'll go wherever I want to go, and it doesn't really affect people, but my decision did. So I don't advise it to do it, but I do believe um, that if you're not happy... You know, I'm not the type of person that can go to work unhappy. I'm just not. And I, I couldn't, I can't wrap my head around saying this, but if I had signed that contract, I would have gone to work at ESPN unhappy for a period of time until maybe things got into a different spot there where I was happy with what I was doing every day. Or maybe it just, you know, circled back into a direction I didn't like and I would just be watching the clock, waiting for another contract to run out, waiting for when is my next thing, where's the next thing going to be. And so I cut the cord on that. And it just, it was liberating and it was ballsy, to be honest. Yeah. And it was a gamble. And, you know, I, I hope I gambled right. You know, you don't want to gamble with a lot of stuff. I gambled with this. And I'm, I'm, I'm fairly, I am adamant that I'm going to make it work out in broadcasting. I do not want to leave this field and I don't plan on leaving this field. And I think I have a ton to offer to a lot of different types of outlets. So I'll end this on this thought, my, my resolution is this. Because of what the broadcast media field is like, um, I actually want to do a lot of things for a lot of different people. I'm not really sure that I want to get caught up in one large contract with anybody unless the position is just so perfect that I just want to take it and run with it. But I do. I am open-minded to a lot of things I like to do. I love being at the games and calling them. That's fun. I want to be on a vehicle where I can write, be myself, be creative, come up with 
strange ideas and try to present sports in a different fashion. I want the Holy Grail. I want to do a sports daily show. I want to do it. I think it can be done, and I think I can do that because the mistakes that have been made in the past of this is they have put people who have never been in that position of being on a real show like that into the position of pretending like they're on a real show, and it doesn't work. What made the daily show work so well was that Craig Kilborn and John Stewart were able to pull off being a real person doing that type of stuff. And that's why I think it would work. I feel like I can pull off something like that. And I have a ton of ideas for different podcasts that I would love to do. And I have a ton of ideas of what I would like to do for networks with a little bit of breathing room. And I'm willing to play within their guidelines, but I need to have a little bit of autonomy. And I think if I can get that message across, then my resolutions will work for 2016. If you have resolutions for me, I'd love to hear it. Thank you for for all of you who've listened to all of this. I really appreciate um, you just being there to hear it because I, I just, I haven't, I just needed to say it. I I needed to say all of it. I, I've just, I felt like I had to get it off my chest. Like I've, I've just, you know, I, I don't know why I just felt like to end this year to really turn the page and say, okay, it's really just time to move on and make peace with the decisions that I've made and really start thinking ahead. I just needed to say it out loud and say, you know, I had a great run there. I enjoyed my time there. I, I you know, am honored and a privileged to have spent the amount of time I was there. I was honored and privileged to be asked to stay. Um, but, you know, and I would go back to that company in a second um, if the capacity and the role and, you know, all of that stuff was altered. Not even that greatly, just altered in a way just to appease the creative side. Um, but if that's not going to happen, that's fine. I'm okay with that. And I'm ready to move on to the next place or places that are open and willing and, and see the value in someone who's going to put their heart and soul into creating new content and doing things from the heart and putting things in a different way than you're going to see the most people. And um, I just appreciate everybody listening to it. I lost in the semifinals of my fantasy football league for the second year in a row to the same person. I am absolutely furious. I won my division again, and this is I'm the Bengals of fantasy football. I get there every year, and then my team implodes every single year. And I had Cam Newton as well, who had a five-touchdown performance. I'm furious. So what am I going to do for the rest of the season? Well, I'll go to FanDuel. And if you use our code TALKING, your first tournament that you play from here on, risk-free. That's any contest offered on FanDuel at up to 10 bucks. If you win, you keep the money. If you lose, FanDuel is going to refund your account for more play. FanDuel is the best place to play one-week fantasy football. Building a team is easy and fun. You pick your players, just stay under the cap. Entry fees are as low as a buck. You can play basketball, hockey on FanDuel. That means you can play fantasy sports for cash almost any night of the week. Think you know fantasy football? Come prove it at FanDuel.com last week of the season before the playoff to show what you know from this year. To get started, go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use the code TALKING. Sign up now. Here's the offer. If you enter a league and you don't win it, FanDuel will refund your money. That's any contest you want, up to 10 bucks. You can sign up on FanDuel.com using my code TALKING. Then make a deposit. Choose your league. If you don't win, you're going to get that money right back in your FanDuel account. The only way to get this no-lose offer is to go to FanDuel.com, click the microphone, use my code TALKING. FanDuel.com, where it can finally pay to be a fan. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Try it out today. So, 
You want to win your fantasy tournament? Are your playoffs going to Week 17? Well, then you have to listen to the SI Fantasy Football Podcast, and it is for you. Twice a week, SI's lead fantasy writer, Michael Beller, goes through all the top fantasy plays to give you an edge on the competition. The SI Fantasy Football Podcast, released twice a week on iTunes, Stitcher, and SI.com backslash podcasts. All right, welcome back to the final segment of the final edition of Talking Heads here in 2015. Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. All right, let's do, um, we've talked about all this crazy stuff that's been going on. What was your favorite thing this year? It doesn't it could be anything, sports, broadcasting, whatever you want. Your personal life, what was your favorite thing that happened in 2015? Okay, I've got three things. I'll be quick with all of them. Um, and I'll go in, uh, you know what, I'll go in chronolo- chronological order. Um, the first thing was the Super Bowl. I've never been to a Super Bowl. I never thought that I would go to a Super Bowl. And I was in Phoenix uh, doing Radio Week last last year, Radio Row. And um, uh, it turned out uh, I was able to get a ticket to see the, the Patriots-Seahawks game. And it was spectacular. It was such a cool event to be at. And I never thought that I would get to attend that as a fan, you know, let alone as a broadcaster. And to me, that was like, I can check that off. There's Now there's like more big events I want to go to that really I was like, I got to do more of that. So that was really cool. Second, and and this is, again, sports-related, seeing American Pharoah win. You're a bigger horse racing guy than I am. I love historical moments. I root, and as I think you do, I root for history. So I'm always rooting for somebody to win the Triple Crown because it just hadn't happened forever. So when that happened to me, that was just one of, and that's why I'm still bitter that American Pharaoh didn't win the Sports Illustrated Sports Thang of the Year. But to me, that was the purest moment that we had in sports all year long. And I love that it was a horse. It wasn't even a person. It was a horse, and I just thought it was I thought it was a special moment in time, and I was happy to watch that and sort of be caught up in that as I was. And the last thing is a personal thing. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of the band The Grateful Dead, who really haven't been the same since Jerry oh, Garcia. wow. You went, right? You went. I went to Chicago. They did this, uh, for those who don't know, Jerry Garcia, the front man for the band, passed away like 25 years ago. Uh, and they have, you know, they've all sort of toured together or individually, but it, they never really sort of like tied a bow on it and said, all right, well, let's say goodbye to everybody. So they did five shows called the Fair Thee Well Tour. They did two in Santa Clara and three in Chicago. And the reason they did Chicago was because they were in Chicago doing shows when Jerry passed away. And I got to go to two of the three shows there. And again, like I said a, a, a few moments ago, a special moment in time. And I love that band and I love the scene and I love being there. It was like this point you're like, this really is a, I can't believe that I'm here seeing this and being here and, and soaking it all in. I saw friends I hadn't seen in 25 years, and it was just, it was a magical moment. And I, and I never use that phrase because I think it's stupid, but that really applied there. And I was so thrilled to be a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish I'd gone. To, I remember you told me you were going up. So, so jealous cool. that you were going. Yeah, that. I mean, because, you know, I was a, I was really into the Grateful Dead. When I was in college, they were still touring around with Jerry, you know. And um, I went to see them a couple times at RFK Stadium, which does yeah. still stand in Washington D.C. And it, they're just—I mean, they're just—they're an experience. They're like yes. one of those things. If you didn't have the opportunity to see them live, boy, you really missed out. I mean, it was just one of those things. It was just an amazing, amazing culture and experience um, that they had grown. I'm with you on American Pharaoh. That was the best sports thing for me in 2015. I am a huge horse racing fan, and I thought I'd never see it. Um, the sport isn't designed for anyone to do it. Uh, it just horses now race typically uh, big time stakes race horses maybe race you know 
six, seven, eight times a year. So that's like, you know, one every four to six weeks. They ask them to run three times at, at lengths that they don't typically run, you know, in a span of seven weeks. So it's not built for them to do it. And he did it and he did it in such a resounding way. That was really awesome. That was my favorite sports thing. Um, this just happened. So it's hard. I can't believe I'm saying it was my favorite thing of 2015. But the Steve Harvey Miss Universe thing is really <laughs> honestly five minutes of the most amazing video I've ever seen. It's just the most, it really I, I've been racking my brain trying to figure out, like, is there anything more awkward, you know, that's happened on live television? And I don't I really don't know what it is that wasn't like a news event, you know, like. This is this is not supposed to happen. And just just how the participants are like how they are just so inclined not to act in an awkward manner, no matter what the situation is and how they handled that moment of you to be put in the most awkward situation with being naming the wrong Miss Universe, having her wear a crown for two minutes, having someone kind of come over and try to take the crown off her head. It was the most weirdest, strangest, oddest thing I've ever seen on live television. It's not to kill Steve Harvey. I know he made a mistake and everyone's trying to like feel better for the guy. Everyone's made a mistake on the air. He's been a broadcaster. This was a massive gaffe, but I mean, everyone's made mistakes. That to me was the most unbelievable video I think I've seen uh, this year. And the other thing from 2015 for me that I think I'll never forget is Donald Trump. I I just, we're going to end the year and he's still leading the Republican polls, (laughs) whatever that exactly means. I kind of look at the polls now as like, the preseason college football polls like what do they really mean like they don't really mean anything because the race really hasn't started yet it doesn't start till they go to new hampshire and iowa you know it doesn't really start and so i think you know i'm I'm, i don't know a lot about politics but i I cannot envision a world in which he's the president as entertaining as he is um i really believe that you know one of the main attributes of the president is diplomacy and he has none of it so i mean he has exhibited zero um ability to reserve his line of thinking in a way that would be anything um short of disrespectful so I don't think you could end up having a president who, you know, would disparage world leaders and how that would be helpful to our country moving forward. But I will say he made this like pre-election run up the most fun pre-election run up of all time. So I just want to thank him personally for making me interested in this because he was so brazenly strange throughout this process that it was really, really wonderful. And it's somewhat sad for our political process that he could basically hijack it the way he did. But I congratulate him because of all the successes the man has had in his life. This is the most amazing one that he has said anything that has come to mind without filtering it whatsoever and leads the polls for the Republican nomination after after disparaging culture after culture and and even saying misogynistic things amazingly he has gotten this far and so i'd like to thank donald trump for making this interesting for me in 2015 <laughs> well let's hope that he doesn't make it quite as interesting for 2016 but yeah he has been an absolute character that french guy yeah i don't know what his name is he's kind of a jerk all right we can all agree on that right uh that's the french president can, can, yeah. can, can you say that yeah whatever yeah. his name is he's an idiot it's what he yeah. says. He gets away with it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Hi, the uh, president from Mexico is on the line. He would like to talk about a trade agreement. Um, tell that guy not to rape anybody. <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. What? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Donald. Or like yeah. um, the uh, the president of Germany is on the line. Oh, she's a fat pig. You yeah. know, like, like, actually, um, she's, she's on speakerphone. You can't say right that, now, president. Stop it. <laughs> yeah. Please, please stop saying. <laughs> stop saying things like that. Like. 
they're not going to come to Camp David to meet with you. You really should stop saying things like that. You know? We're not going to Camp David anymore. We're going to go to Trump Towers in Atlantic City. It's going to be yeah. beautiful. And by the way, hey, that's- you like playing golf in Scotland? I'll meet you over there. <laughs> by the way, that's his, that's his, and it's going to come back and bite him in the ass, but that's his go-to phrase with anything. When they ask him for specifics, he's like, you're going to love it. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It's like, well, what am I going to yeah. love about it? Can you have a plan? Come on, buddy. you got to flesh this thing out a little bit more. I mean, of all the crazy things he said all year, my favorite one was from the first debate. That was, uh, it was back in the summer. And he said, Megan, this was the one he got into a fight with Megan Kelly over. And Megan Kelly, you know, pointedly asked him about, like, remarks he has made, disparaging remarks about women in general. And he stopped her mid-sentence. He said, I only said that about Rosie O'Donnell. And then she goes, um, no, she corrected him. She said, you called this person a fat pig and you called this person this. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> and then everyone cheered. <laughs> everyone cheered. Like, if, if Jeb Bush said that. Oh, he done. wouldn't be the governor anymore. You know, like, right. you're like this guy somehow said terribly misogynistic things, and people stood up and cheered for him. I, I just don't understand how that happened. Yeah, no, he's it, that is the most fascinating thing for for 2015 but politics, without question, is, is oh, the Trump God. factor. I know. It just really, he's been a, he's been a gem. He's a peach. I really, I really appreciate that he's and he's and he's stuck it out and he just keeps pushing the line. It's really amazing. So just thank you for making me laugh at like Rubio and Cruz and Bush and and Rand Paul and just having the opportunity to just giggle at these career politicians getting thumped by this guy because he's an incredible entertainer and provocateur and it's amazing what he's pulled off here so i i I can't thank him enough for making 2015 so entertaining (laughs) and please god in 2016 don't actually become the president (laughs) i don't think i can handle it i don't i don't think i can handle like him saying that and actually having world ramifications when he uh, when he tells the Iranian president to go fuck himself or something like that, and what kind of ramifications that would actually have um, yeah. on the world. Uh, last thing, I'll let you go on this. So for 2016, um, I have two things that I want to see happen. I have a holy grail in sports. It's never happened. It's the one team that I love dearly that's never actually won it all in my lifetime. I think the Washington Capitals have a serious shot at it this year, and I hope it happens. A Stanley Cup in Washington for the Washington Capitals. Um, I, they've got the team. It's there. They've been on the cusp for a long, long time. They've got the the best player in the world playing on their team. They actually went out in free agency this year, got good players, and I love the hockey playoffs, and I've, I've, never, I've never seen them win at all. So I am dying to see them win it all in 2016. So that's my hope there. And personally, I've already gone through all of it, so I won't repeat all of it, but basically um, I am resolved to getting my career back on track, and you're going to see me soon. Well put, man. Um, well put. Uh, you're going to laugh because the one sports thing I want to see is the same thing I want to see every year. Uh, this year, more than ever, I would like to see the Red Sox win the World Series again so that my personal hero, David Ortiz, uh, goes out a winner. I would love that. After three last-place finishes in, a, in four of like the last five wonderful. years or whatever it Good is, luck with that. I would like to see them win the World Series this year. That would make me You happy. make it sound like they haven't won recently. What a jerk. <laughs> you got the curse that ended a long time ago, and you guys have been, you guys have won, what, more World Series? What, the Giants? They're the only ones that won the same amount of World Series as you guys? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. It seems ridiculous, but it would, it would be a great cap to, uh, for me to see Ortiz go out as a champ. That would be very cool. All right, so this is the last one for 2015 for us. First of all, it, let me thank you personally, Mark. You know, when I, when I first got out, the oh. first thing I wanted to do was start doing a show with you again. So I, I really can't thank you enough for saying yes. Thank you for doing it with me again. This yeah. is a blast. I, I, I hope that people catch wind of this. And please, we said at the beginning, 
folks, go out and tell folks about this. Tell your friends. Uh, we need your help with this. We love doing the show. We hope you like the show as much as we love doing it. So thank you, Bram, for, for letting me be a part of it again. And Happy New Year to everybody uh, around the world, wherever you're listening to this. Uh, have a great New Year. We'll see you in 2016 on the network.